Well, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. One of my favorite messages to preach every year because it is the greatest miracle ever on earth that God became one of us. That is, well, if it weren't true, it would be impossible to believe. So what is the Christmas message? I boil it down to one word. It's a word that human beings can't live without, a reality that we cannot survive without. And that one word is hope. The Bible says that you and I will perish without a vision. A vision is something you see in the future that you deeply desire. So without something to live for, people take their own lives. Without something to live for, we have no motivation. We have no energy and nothing for our faith to connect to, which I'll be talking about in our January series called simply Faith. But today we're talking about hope, and the Christmas message is hope. But why? Why is the Christmas message about hope? I boil this down to three Simple words. Some people say, if I were to ask you, what are the three most powerful words on earth? What would you say? Jesus what? Jesus helps. I like that. If, you know, if I could pull it off, I would change my message to that right now because that, that's awesome. Somebody else said love. I love you. It's considered the three most powerful words in the human race. But I want to trump it with what I believe trumps, I'm sorry, both of those. And that is God with us. And I want to personalize it today and say God with you. Why? Why is that the most hopeful message in the world? It's very simple. You and I were created by God for God. We were not designed by God to live apart from God. If you live apart from God, your life will never make sense. It's like a ship that is disconnected from its moorings, and it's just floating out to sea with no destination. Or if a destination is chosen, If you arrive there, you'll find it does not satisfy. Something will always be missing. Something will always seem like something's not right. It's because you and I are disconnected from our Savior. And without a relationship with God, we will try to achieve everything we can achieve, attach as many degrees to our name as we can, uh, get that right relationship, make as much money as we can, can all we get, and sit on the can, I mean, we, we will look for purpose and meaning and significance in life. And whatever we achieve, we get accolades and we feel significant. But it's only because we've reached our human potential, possibly, and that is called humanism. It is self-glory. We were not designed to live for ourselves, to dictate our own destiny for our own glory. We were designed by God We were gifted by God, our skills, our personalities, all the wisdom we have, the emotions we feel, 
are from God. You and I, at best, apart from God, will think that we came from primordial slime, that we came from something and we became who we are today. No. We were created by the breath of God and created in the image of God. Without God, we think we're animals, which we are not. We are human beings, and we reflect His glory. And every day, you and I have the privilege of revealing God to one another by reflecting His nature to one another. And then we have an adversary. On top of our own struggles as human beings in a fallen world, we have an enemy that Jesus, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, the half-brother Jesus James, they all say that you and I have an enemy and his name is Satan. And his deepest desire and his ultimate goal is disconnect you from God. Try to get things wedged in there where you're bitter and you're angry. Some teenagers and, uh, that have an issue with their parents who serve God, when they want to disconnect from their parents, they disconnect from the God of their parents. Satan will use anything to try to disconnect you from God. Disappointment in prayer, unanswered prayer. Somebody you, you love, you prayed for when they died, and you get mad at God. Satan loves that. He's your adversary. His whole goal is to separate you from God and from your divine destiny. So that when it's all said and done, you'll see what it was really all about, which was you walking with the living God. I love what Ken said to me. Ken is one of the guys who sets up the lights and serves you and I to set up this church every, every morning. He came up to me today and he said, man, I feel so encouraged. This morning I was reading Job. For those of you who don't know, Job is a story in the Bible of a man who had the worst story in the history of the human race. But only Ken could get something positive out of the book of Job. Because Ken has faith like nobody I know. And he said, even with all the tragedy that Job endured, he said, I will still worship God. God knew that you and I were in trouble, so he came. And that is the story of Christmas. God knew we needed him, so he came. 700 years before God came to the earth as a human being in the form of a baby, The prophet Isaiah saw it in the spirit. He saw it 700 years earlier, and he wrote this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years later, God comes to the earth, born as a baby, and Matthew records his birth and says this. So, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, which, which we just read, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, say it out loud. And now personalize it. God with me. See, God didn't just send his son to die for the sins of the world. He sent his son to die for your sins. And until you make Jesus your 
personal Savior. It will always be something out there for a general populace, but it will never strike your life where you can cry out to your God every morning, afternoon, and evening and know that your God hears you and cares about your life. Whenever you see this phrase in the Bible, and God was with him, and God was with her, and God was with him, it always means victory and success. When Joseph, a, a, man, a young boy in the Bible, a teenager in the Bible, who was beat up by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, accused of rape, thrown into prison, this one phrase all the way through his story says, but God was with him, but God was with him, but God was with him, and ended up being the prime minister of the largest nation, most powerful nation on earth. Or with David, who was just a teenage boy, minding his own business, tending sheep on the backside of the desert. And yet God anointed him to be the next king of Israel, and he ended up being chased by the king at that time, living in caves and in desperation. And yet it says God was with David. God was with David. God was with David. And he became the greatest king Israel ever had. Or Joshua. Moses dies, and now Joshua is supposed to take three million Jews into the promised land. He's overwhelmed and fearful, but it says God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. And Joshua succeeded. They faced every obstacle and overcame it because God was with them. I want to read a passage in the Bible about the incarnation, about God becoming one of us. I'm going to show three reasons why. It literally will change your life. So let's read this passage together in the book of Luke. And it says this, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, not human wisdom, not tradition, not religion, the Holy Spirit. He's the one that opens our eyes to see and know God. God created Adam and Eve out of the dirt of the ground. They were lifeless. They were just part of the dust until God did what? Picked up Adam and and breathed the breath of life, the rock, the Holy Spirit into his soul. And Adam said, God! And then God said, name all the animals. Let's start having some fun. Come on. And Adam said, well, that thing over there looks like a giraffe to me. Great, giraffe it is. God breathes his life into us so we know him. And then he gives us a divine assignment to walk with him. And you fulfill your design, divine, assignment, divine assignment. Then you see him face to face and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. But all along the way, the enemy will try to sow these seeds of doubt into your mind. The philosophies of men, the Bible's not true. Jesus isn't the son of God. God doesn't even exist. Just trying to knock you around until, again, the curtain drops. It's all over. And you say, oh my gosh, I completely missed it. Either out of pride or unbelief or doubt or anger or bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness or jealousy, whatever it might be that knocks us off our divine destiny. My job as your pastor and a preacher is to preach the truth so you can hear it and the Holy Spirit will help you believe it so you can live out your divine destiny and see Him on that day and hear Him say to you, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Amen? But it's up to you. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit to Simeon. What a great promise. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, you know his kids sitting around the dinner table when he told him this, or his wife, or his friends. God said, I wouldn't die until I saw Jesus physically return. That would be equivalent to what he said. Because Christ comes twice, once to the earth to die for our sins, and secondly is the conquering king with the armies of heaven to wipe out all the enemies and cast Satan into prison for a thousand years and then annihilate him entirely. But if you're sitting around the dinner table and you say, kids, honey, or your friends at work, hey, guess what? The Holy Spirit told me something. Oh, really? Yeah, God spoke to me. Oh, okay. What did he say? That uh, I wouldn't die until I saw Jesus physically come back to the earth. Okay. This is what Simeon said. The Holy Spirit has revealed to me, I will not die until the Savior comes. Not it had been 4,000 years. So he came by the Spirit, by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, which was circumcision, he took him, aren't you glad that we get church membership without that these days? He took him up in his arms and blessed him and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at the things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined to the, for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign which should be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was also one named Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years old, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting that all of Jerusalem is busy and bustling around and God came and hardly anybody knew it. I wonder how many times God comes into our lives answering our prayers, doing little things we don't even see, we don't even recognize it. I wonder why. Are we too busy? Are we distracted with things of this earth? Unnecessary secondary things? Are we spiritually dull and dead, uninterested? I don't know. I don't know what it might be with you. I know what my stumbling blocks are, and I try to remove them so I can stay sensitive and open and see God, hear God, feel God, walk with God. It's a challenge. But Simeon and Anna, they stayed connected to God, and they were one of the only ones he saw God when he came. There are three parts of the incarnation that impact us deeply. My challenge to you this morning, my plea for you this morning, is to set aside all secondary things and recognize that your life is about knowing and walking with God. 
If you do, I tell you, all self-esteem issues go away. They're resolved. Self-worth. Getting our identity and our self-worth from peers and those around us and social media and and celebrities and what people think about what we wear and say and how we laugh and walk and talk and what we do for a living and our degrees and our money and our cars. All that goes away when you realize God made me and he's never made anybody else like me. I am unique and significant and I'm walking with God. The first thing that is so potent as you walk with God is this. Jesus understands you. Knowing God is where it begins. Because without knowing God, you can't know yourself. Because he made you. So he knows your name. He knows your personality. He knows your gifts, your callings. He made your soul. He knows you. He made you on the potter's wheel. He shaped you just the way he wanted you. And without him, the potter, the pot doesn't know what it is unless the potter uses the pot for its divine purposes. So without knowing God, we can't know ourselves. Again, we think we came from slime and the animal kingdom. You can't find that in the Word of God because it's just not true. Without knowing God, you can't know you. But here's what's even an equally powerful truth. That God knows you intimately. Being in a relationship and being misunderstood is one of the loneliest, most, most uh, painful feelings in the world. Single people, they think, oh, I want to get married because then I will never be lonely again. But then you get married and your spouse doesn't understand you or love you or care about you. That's actually lonelier because there was a promise held out there and you thought that that promise was going to fulfill your human need. And then you find out that your spouse is imperfect, and so are you. There's nothing on this planet that can satisfy your soul but God and God alone. And He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And He can explain you to you, which nobody else can, nor can you explain yourself to you. But God knows you. He loves you. He's in touch with you. Jesus knows you. He identifies with your humanness, which is the whole point of the incarnation, which is God becoming a human being. What other God would become like its subjects? Every other, quote, God, which are false gods, are gods of fear and terror. They must be appeased to the point where people sacrifice their own children to appease their God. Still happening today. I just got a video from one of our missionaries that, that sent a, a, a video of people who literally are still burning and sacrificing their children to appease their gods in certain parts of the world. It's still going on today. We live in a Western bubble. We don't understand some of the demonic things that are taking place in the world. They were doing it back in Jesus' day. Our God is the God of love. Loves you and I so much that he saw our plight and he knew we could do nothing about it. So what did he do? He came down as a human being and took care of it for us. So he knows what it means to be human. He lived on this earth in a human body and felt human emotions and ate human food. And he was rejected and spit on and 
misunderstood and betrayed. When you're depressed, he says, I feel you. When you're tempted, he says, I get it. When you need strength, he says, I've been there. When an angel had to come and strengthen Jesus, the Son of God, at his darkest hour. When you're betrayed by friends, he says, yep, that one hurt probably more than the other one I experienced when I was a human being. And because he's all-powerful, he can help you, not just identify with you, not just empathize, not just cry with you, which he does, but he can help you. Look what the prophet says. The same prophet that prophesied his coming prophesied this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. He's not talking about just the human government. He's talking about the government of the spirit realm as well as the natural realm. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's talking about Jesus. When you need a counselor, Jesus says, I am your wonderful counselor. When you need strength, he says, I am your mighty God. He knows every one of us need a healthy relationship with the Father. So he calls himself your everlasting Father. And he knows how desperately the human race needs peace. So he says, I am your Prince of Peace. He calls himself, in this passage we read, the consolation of Israel. The word consolation means comfort and to console. You could be laying up in your bed by yourself, feeling nobody understands you, nobody loves you, you feel all alone. Jesus says, I am your comforter. I know you, I feel you, I understand you. The word salvation, Simeon said, your salvation has come. This word salvation is from the Greek word soteria. It means all-inclusive, signifying forgiveness, healing, prosperity, deliverance, safety, rescue, liberation, and restoration. I mean, is there anything left that the human race is crying out for? But where and who are we crying out to? Jesus brings us forgiveness and healing and prosperity and deliverance and safety and rescue and liberation and restoration. And Satan knows this, which is why he tries to keep us away from him. And this brings the second point of the incarnation. And that is that Jesus is always at work in your life. Whether you see it or you don't. Whether you recognize it or not, he's always working behind the scenes to bring his destiny to pass in your life, which begins with salvation. But it continues from there all the way until he returns. Look at this favorite verse in the Bible. Philippians 1.6, And I am certain that God who began the good work in you will continue it until he's fed up with you and says, Enough is enough. I've had it with you. You keep failing me. You don't do anything I say. Boy, you irritate me. Jesus, does this one irritate you? Oh, I was irritated with that one a long time ago. Holy Spirit, forget about it. That's Philippians 1.6. Satan's translation. Here's God's translation. For I am certain, Paul says, that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until he is finally finished on the day Christ Jesus returns. You know, sometimes things that 
God has promised you or you're believing God for just seem dead in the water. Anybody ever feel that way? Raise your hands. I saw one lady back there going, uh-huh, like this, looking at her neighbor, uh-huh. There are things that just seem dead. Marriages, relationship to parents and kids, your career, your finances, your physical body. I remember being down in Mexico and I was in my hotel room and I was praying for the convention that night. And as I was in prayer, I always asked the Lord, does Jesus show me something that you're going to do tonight so I don't miss it? Like Simon, like Simeon and Anna. Holy Spirit, I don't want to miss you. So I pray that prayer. And he shows me things. And sometimes, it, see, it's, just in, it's in the imagination. God gave us our imaginations on purpose so he could speak to us through our imaginations. And so I saw this woman, and she was going to commit suicide. And I saw her come down the aisle, and when she, I wrapped her in my arms, the Lord delivered her. And so I go to preach that night, and... Uh, I start opening up a passage of all passages, the gathering demoniac. I didn't even remember what God showed me in my hotel room. And I'm preaching this, and five minutes into it, all of a sudden I remembered. I thought, oh, my goodness. And then I had to decide whether I was going to take the risk or not. Am I going to step out here and say this afternoon in my hotel room, I think God showed me in the eye of my mind and my imagination a woman here that's going to kill herself? Because if she's not there, if that doesn't happen, then you look like an idiot, right? You look like you're just making stuff up. You try to be the big man on the block and the big preacher that hears from God. And then it's just a dud in the meeting from that point forward. But I've decided with the Lord, I'm going to take risks. Because I want to see you do stuff I could never pull off myself. How about you? So I stepped out in front of the pulpit and I said what I told you. Crickets. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I feel like a fool. So then I started praying for someone to want to commit suicide so I didn't look so bad in front of everybody. No, I didn't. And all of a sudden, this woman gets up and comes walking down the middle aisle, and I thought, thank God. And she came down, and I said, the Lord told me that when I wrapped my arms around you, I wrapped my arms around her, and she slid to the floor, and then she just started manifesting demons. My son was with me, Elliot, and he's sitting in the front row in a folding chair, and she's literally flopping on the floor, banging against his chair, and he's like getting up, and he goes, what do I do? I said, cast it out. Come on. What do you mean, what do you do? And so we laid hands on her, and, she, and, then, she was, and then some people picked her up after she was set free, set her in a chair, and she sat there through the whole sermon. And in that passage, it says, after Jesus cast the demons out of the Gadarene demoniac, that he was sitting in his right mind. And I thought, oh my gosh, what an illustrated sermon. There she is sitting in her right mind. And so we talked to her afterwards. I asked the pastor, hey, does she like do this? Is this like real? He said, she is a prominent businesswoman in our city in, on, the, in, on the Baja. She owns multiple restaurants in the city. And she's a very well-respected woman. She would never do something like this. And all weekend long, she'd come up to me, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. She said, I've been to doctors, I've been a psychiatrist, I've been on medications, I've been in counseling. She said, I was done, and I was going to kill myself. Sometimes it just looks like it is way too far gone. Maybe you feel that way. Not with Jesus. 
Not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. There's a great promise that God leaves to us. He says this, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I love the fact that she was at that meeting that night. She was seeking God when she felt like there was no hope. She just kept coming to church, kept crying out to God. Simeon and Anna recognized God because they were looking for him. The astrologers found God when God's own people didn't. The three wise men were astrologers. They were stargazers. They studied the stars. And they found something that our modern-day astrologers don't find. They've turned, today, we've turned the stars that God put up there to reveal His glory because of our humanism. We've made the stars about our glory. Study the stars and learn about you. No! Study the stars and learn about God. When I was in Bible college, I'd never learned this before, never known it. Do you know that the plan of salvation is in the stars? I didn't know that. The cross is there, the lamb is there, the crucifixion, the resurrection, it's all in the stars. And these astrologers saw that God was going to send his son as the savior of the world. And they followed the stars right to the spot. Even the astrologers, because they were looking for God. But most missed him. The innkeeper certainly missed the greatest customer he could have ever housed. He could have put that out on the marquee. The Son of God stayed here. But no, he was too busy with his business and making money. He completely missed God. Think about that. His own brothers and sisters, Jesus' own brothers and sisters missed him because of familiarity. That's just my brother. Sometimes we miss God because we're so familiar with the person God's speaking through that we don't hear the voice in the voice. The Bible teachers of Jesus' day missed him because of pride and jealousy. They wanted the fame and glory, and Jesus was getting it all. They completely missed God. His own disciples missed him. When he died, they said, we thought this was going to be the one. But Jesus told him over and over and over again he had to die and then raise from the dead. Why do you think maybe you are missing the Lord in your life. I guarantee you he's reaching out to you on a daily basis. I promise you he's calling your name and trying to draw you to himself. What is stopping you? What's in between you and the voice of God? He's trying to draw you into your destiny. Forgiveness. Healing. Restoration. Boy, I tell you, I experienced something this summer that I did not see coming. This is under the point that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is always at work in your life trying to restore what Satan has broken. Over 40 years ago, close to 50 years ago, my mom and dad got divorced. Our family was shattered. We stopped going to church. My dad was an alcoholic and he was physically abusive. My mom had to flee. I was nine years old. I remember her walking down the sidewalk, turning the corner with her suitcases, behind the shrubs, gone. 
it did tremendous damage to me personally as a nine-year-old boy, to my brothers, to my sisters. My sisters were abused. We were fractured and fragmented. And then there was tremendous abuse in marriages and relationships. And my oldest brother got ran over by his best friend and died. And so my next brother tried to go to hell as fast as he could and would have gone to prison if we didn't know somebody who was powerful in the justice system to keep him out of prison. And my sister had her first child at 15 years old and her husband was abusive to her, unmercifully abusive. Well, I could go on and on and on about the destruction of our family. I remember praying for my dad's salvation. And this would be my prayer. God, you know, I have no faith whatsoever my dad will ever get saved. I'm going to pray, though, because it's the right thing to do. And that was it. The day my dad and I were standing in church together side by side with our hands raised, worshiping God, I looked at him and I thought, unbelievable. And he built himself the largest house in the state of Ohio. He was a home builder. And he wanted to purchase the house next to him because he wanted to turn it into a retreat center for pastors and to raise up the next generation of young leaders in the kingdom of God. But he contracted cancer and within six months he was dead. The dream died. This last summer, I went home to Ohio with my whole family. It was my mom's 80th birthday. I remember she was laying on her bed one day and she was crying and I was, I was a teenager and I was in my mid-twenties and I was already in the ministry. And I sat down on her bed I said, why are you crying, mom? And she said, because I prayed every day that your dad and I wouldn't get divorced. I prayed, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. But that prayer wasn't answered. And I prayed, and, I, and, and, the, and the pain in your God, my children's lives and the destruction it created, I just can't get over it. I said, Mom, that prayer was answered, that God would restore. She goes, how? And I said, two of your children are preachers. And she said, actually four. Because my two sisters cannot preach me or my brother. God had already begun this restoration process, but she didn't recognize it. Because she was so caught up on the pain and the destruction of the past. She didn't see God's handiwork. And so it was her 80th birthday just this last summer. And we go to this home. Now let me tell you about this home. My nephew who's also in construction in Ohio, was out to breakfast with a friend that he had met, a business mogul. And he's sitting with his friend, and his friend said to my nephew, I just bought a new home. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my nephew and said, he bought your grandpa's home, which would be my dad's home. My, my nephew thought, well, that, that's weird. Why would the Holy Spirit say that? And so Joshua said, tell me about this home. So he starts to describe this home he bought, and he said, that's my dad's house. My grandpa, who died of cancer and lost the home, and the bank took it. He said, that's so weird. And he said, oh, and I bought the house next to it, too. Because I'm a Christian, and I want to use that home to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders in the kingdom of God. And my nephew said, "Can my, my, my Uncle Johnny's coming in from, he can call me Johnny from San Diego with his family, can he stay in that home? 
And so I stayed there. My mom stayed there. My sister stayed there. My nephew stayed there. His kids stayed there. We all stayed in this home. And on Sunday morning, while you were having church service here, we were having church service in the backyard of the house next to my dad's house, the other house he wanted to buy. We're in the backyard in a big circle, four generations deep. And we were all sitting there stunned. Everybody in the circle was saved. Grandma, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, niece, nephews, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I was supposed to bring a sermon, and I said, there is no way I'm preaching on top of this. This is God's sermon. And I felt the Lord say to me, 40 years ago, 45 years ago, almost 50 years ago, when our family was disintegrating, God said, I got this. What about you? What about the things in your life you think are hopeless? Give God time. Give him your faith and your trust. Mary, you're about to experience something this afternoon, this afternoon of restoration. You've been praying about and believing for years with your family. She came up to me this right before church. She said, this afternoon, this is going to happen. And she described it to me. Tears in her eyes as a grandma praying for her family. This brings up the last point. We're going to close with this. Jesus' plan for your life is much bigger and better than yours. And you and I don't believe that, which is why we keep taking control of our own lives, trying to work out our own destiny. We really don't believe it. Or else we would completely relinquish control and say, not my kingdom, but yours. Not my will, but yours. And let me tell you something. For me, I've been walking with the Lord now for 36 years. It took about the first 26 to finally come to a place where I really started believing that God's will for my life is better than mine. Because you have to see him do this kind of stuff again and again and again. And he'll block you when you're trying to do something and he won't let it happen And then he does his thing, and you go, oh, that's so much better than what I was trying to force. The sooner you and I, see, when you're born like this, right, screaming and with fists clenched, and God's, the Holy Spirit's goal through our entire lifetime is to just peel our fingers back one at a time, and get us to quit whining and crying and shouting and screaming until we're finally like this. And for many, it doesn't even happen until the deathbed when we go, oh. and then it's too late. The goal is to do this now. Will you do it with me? Oh. <laughs> yeah. This is the posture that brings the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God, the Wonderful Counselor into your life. But the goal is to relinquish control and let God do it God's way and in God's timing. That's why Israel missed God, His first coming. 
because they were looking in their interpretation of God coming, it was going to be a mighty political ruler who would crush Caesar and deliver Israel from the Roman government and set Israel up in their kingdom. But God's plan was so much bigger than that. And it was coming to pass in a completely different way than they expected, even though he prophesied it. But they were so stuck in their paradigm about how this needs to happen. When people ask me, what's your five-year plan? I just kind of laugh. I say, it's the same as my today plan. Just follow Jesus. You can't see what's going to happen five years from now. Remember when I went up to Bethel Church, up in Reading with Mark, and Bill Johnson lays hands on Mark and prophesies, the next 20 years of your life is going to look nothing like the previous 20 years. Well, Mark's been telling the team for about the last 20 years that he's going to retire. Yeah, this is my last year, I'm going to retire. Yeah, this is my last year, I'm going to retire. Yeah, this is my last year, I'm going to retire. And so when the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, the next 20 years of your life are not going to look the same as the last 20, he thought that meant he was going to be sailing his boat on Elliott Bay. But now he's bearing more fruit. God has him at the center of two revivals, one in Guadalajara and one up in San Francisco. He just wrote a second book, endorsed by Bill Johnson and about to be published. He is going to be a busy little bee, which is not what he had planned, but what God had planned because Mark's desire, greatest and deepest desire in life is to be fruitful and to have kingdom significance. And God is about to cause him to bear more fruit in the next, I won't put how many years, that's between you and God, than you have your entire life. 30, 40? No, you just did this. That's 40. So Mark, like Simon, Simeon, who had a weird prophecy, just prophesied he's going to live for another 40. He's 60 what now? Okay. I'm going to see. Are you clenching your fists today? Do you refuse to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because let's say you believe it, but you just don't want to relinquish control and trust Him. You're being blinded by the enemy, the enemy of your soul. All He's going to give you is peace and guidance and comfort and salvation. Will you close your eyes with me this morning? This is going to be for those who have not yet come to Jesus and you're about to, and for those who have come to Jesus. For those of you who have not yet given your life to Jesus, the Son of God, for the forgiveness of your sins, He's waiting for you. He will not force it on you. He's asking you right now, to open your heart and invite him in for the forgiveness of your sins. And I promise you from the Holy Scriptures and from seeing thousands of people over the last 36 years come to Jesus, that he will receive you and forgive you and you will be filled with his peace. If that's you this morning, you've never received Jesus and you want to do that this morning, will you raise your hand right where you are and say, I am ready to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior? for the forgiveness of my sins.
If that's you, raise your hand right where you are. There's also many of you here today that you are distant from God. You've received Jesus as your Savior, but you just feel far away from Him. Maybe you've just got caught up in the world, or maybe you just feel like you've blown it so bad that you're just keeping a distance from Him. Listen, He understands you. He understands you, and He loves you. And you're being tricked by the enemy, and he's calling you to come to him again. And he will forgive every sin you've ever committed. He'll wash away the guilt and the shame and restore you. Do you need that? That's you this morning. You raise your hand and say, I need to come back to Jesus today. I see your hand back there in the back aisle. Thank you. Anybody else raise your hand and say, I need to come to him again. I see your hand over. Anybody else raise your hand and say, I need to renew my relationship with Jesus. I've been distracted Maybe I'm bitter or angry. I need to come to him. Anybody else raise your hand and say, that's I see your hand. Anybody else say, I need to renew my relationship with Jesus on this Christmas service. And the, last, the last request is for those of you here today. And for whatever reason, you will not let God in. You want to control your own life and destiny. I'm telling you that's nothing but pride and rebellion and, and foolishness. Because the enemy is just going to drag you around your entire life. Break those chains today by an act of your will and by your trust in God. And say, I am choosing today to trust Jesus with my life. And you're, gonna, and you're unclenching that, those fists and control and you're saying, God, your will be done in my life. I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer right now just between you and him. Just pray that prayer. Say, Jesus, I relinquish control right now. Will you pray that? Will you say that right off your lips? They say, Jesus, I relinquish control. And I choose to trust you. Now pray this. Now Jesus, show me what you can do with my life. Jesus is the light of the world. He has promised this to us. In every dark crevice of your life and wherever you take the gospel message, It shines light into people's darkness. He is the hope of the world. And he's my hope. So to close out our Christmas service today, I'm going to ask us all to stand. And we're going to sing. The band is going to sing Silent Night. We're going to light our candles as symbolic of Jesus being the light of the world. And as we do this, I want you to see this light in your hand as a symbol and a sign of the light of Jesus Christ in your life. But he will lead you, he will guide you in the darkest hours of your life. Jesus is there.
sing with me. teams that come down front, you may need to come down and give your life to Jesus or rededicate to Jesus or maybe you need a miracle and Jesus is here in this house to do miracles. I would love to meet those who came to Christ for the first time or those rededicating your life. I would love to pray with you. I'll be down front here. Also, next Sunday, the last message of the year, Jesse is going to preach. He's on our teaching team. Jesse Miller, he's going to teach a message, Finishing Strong. And then the next Sunday, the first Sunday of January, I'll launch a brand new series 
called faith. So you have faith for 2019 to see God move mountains in your life. January 6th, the same Sunday, we're going to start a 21-day fast because Jesus says some mountains don't move except by through fasting and prayer. We're going to see God together and watch Him do the most amazing things we've seen yet in 2019. God bless you. Have a great Merry Christmas. Oh, finally, uh, everybody with these amazing ugly sweaters, we're going to meet out front in just a little bit, and we're going to take a group shot. Love you guys. God bless you. Merry Christmas.
Awesome. High five. I appreciate you. And musicianship. Musician is part of being a good godly person. It is. Some of them have just legit, cool, like, verses. I love the lyrics. What do you mean? Like, hymns? Like, Yeah, you could have done this. This is just out of my gift wrapping box. 